0: If you don't laugh, you're going to go on a killing spree to sharpen the needle. The confidence of a hero or a fool was exactly certain, which could not be more professional. It's one to my life too. That's okay. It means something. It means something. That's my take with what's yours, Protonic uh, Reversal!
2: That's like a science thing, right?
0: Indeed, indeed, indeed. It's a science thing. It's a science place. It's a scientific fact. We are in your face. Welcome once again to the one, the only, Protonic Reversal. The best music podcast in the world, in the universe. It's solidly Okay. Huge treat for you guys this week. I'm speaking to the surviving members of Brainiac, uh, Juan, John, and Tyler, at the premiere of the documentary Transmissions After Zero, which is a documentary about said band Brainiac that I'm very excited because I did not get to see it yet uh, at the time of the interview, even though I did get to see them do the celebratory thing in Dayton. Uh, it's really great i'm really psyched to be able to do this for you guys and uh, we're just uncharacteristically i guess going to get right down to it Uh, but first we're going to hear hear a song from brainiac uh, a very special band and then please enjoy this interview and after we get done with that i'll tell you my thoughts on the documentary sounds good oh and as always if you enjoy the show Please rate it on iTunes or Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, whatever it is you listen to this on. It helps people discover the show, and it helps keep the show growing and bringing these cool conversations to different people. I've been remiss in asking about this in the past. It's if you enjoy the show, which is free, always free, always will be free. Uh, please. Give a little of your time towards uh, sharing it with a friend or an enemy. Share with a friend of me. Sure. Anyway, Brainiac.
2: Go, stuff!
0: Welcome back. We are here with uh, Juan and John of the incredible band Brainiac, who are playing a show in the year 2019. Isn't that right?
1: I can't believe it, but it really is 2019, isn't it?
0: It is. I'm, I feel very lucky because I never got the chance to see you guys play the first time. And now this is going to be the second time that I've, that I've seen you. And for, for me, that's actually really special because you're one of those bands that may not have been the household name. It, it meant a lot to a small to middle uh, group of people. It's gotta be interesting with like, there's a documentary, you know, I, I missed the ceremony, but there was like the key to the city of Dayton. Like there's, there's been a lot going on after a very long break. So what, what's, what kind of feelings are you feeling right now?
1: I mean, it's an interesting thing. I think like back when, you know, Tim passed and we were just sort of grappling with, you know, coming out of all that stuff you know, it it's not something that we would have ever entertained doing, And not, would, neither do we have the interest, inclination, or just like the, just the you know, out of respect, would we ever think of doing such a thing? I didn't think that we ever would, um, and I kind of feel like maybe part of it was uh, kind of growing past that as an adult, you can't really like foresee what you know when someone passes like you you sort of imagine like what they would think of, of something like that happening you know and you and you really can't and then you grow you mature on your own and you sort of develop your own ideas about those things but you know I mean like the three of us had always had a lot of you know love for each other and kind of had to grow out of our own things you know like sort of mature in our own ways and you'll You'll, you haven't seen the documentary, but you'll you'll see sort of that's <laughs> right. that's part of the narrative that's in there. It's cool now. I, I just apparently make it a
0: habit to interview bands and artists before I see the documentary. It's happened more often <laughs> than not, long, actually. It's kind of a running joke. That's funny. Uh, but yeah, talk about like approaching and then also welcome, Tyler, as well. It's much different to approach this kind of thing now. Uh, as older men, like having like you know, this breadth of age and like life. That has been lived between them. So, coming back to that material, especially with this, with this atmosphere of, of people kind of celebrating what the band was, but then also kind of having that music and art exist in the modern timeline, has it give you any like interesting perspective uh, on life as far as that goes? Like, how does it feel when you're when, when you're playing these songs again? Is it like surreal? Is it natural? Is it, like an old glove? Is it?
1: I don't know, it's interesting, because it's it's part part of the, like, part of what made that music when we were younger was, I feel like a lot of that has to do with being younger. Like, we played the songs way faster than they were on the record, and I don't think any of us are that interested in pushing that envelope, you know, like, my wife always says to me, like, you know, the collection of crazy shirts and stuff like that, like, I had some of those kinds of things, like into my like th- 30s and stuff like that and played in other bands and when i pull one out she'd be like you're not in brainiac anymore john you know like <laughs> sort of like you're that's a little sad you're you're a, a bit beyond that or whatever whatever now you, you know so I,
0: thrift store apparel necessarily <laughs> you don't need to wear
1: like a ultraviolet ladies blouse anymore
0: <laughs> polyester
1: but you know uh it's fun it's a little bit Therapeutic, maybe, and it's just cool to hang out with these guys because we always had such a good time together. Also, you
3: can't really wear those clothes anymore. No, <laughs> nor do I, they. I've noticed that like a, a '90s large thrift store shirt is like a today's extra small.
0: Thank you, thank you. I, my my joke is I've got this. I've got I've got a Nirvana shirt, and it, you know fits me like a tunic. Like you could put a belt around it, and I'm like, yeah. And you, you look at the tag. It's like that. That's a '90s medium. I <laughs> and like now like somehow we know that t-shirts like how t-shirts should fit now or the style has changed but yeah no, that, that that is a thing
1: totally good point Tyler
0: <laughs> thanks man I'll drink to that <clears throat> so Tyler you you have not really kept up with, with uh, doing bands and, and uh, doing things since then is that correct for the most part yeah I've dabbled here and there
3: was with some friends little little side projects and stuff but yeah nothing like uh, nothing like John's done
0: So, do you feel like coming back and kind of diving into doing this? Did it feel, I mean, did that feel natural, or is is that something where like it took a little while to kind of get the? No, I think so. It was like, I
3: know it's you know sounds cliche, but it was like riding a bike, especially with these guys. Right. We we played these songs, uh, we did all this for five solid years, like touring nine months out of the year. uh, So, you know know each other, we know the music, and it's just kind of like a second nature. I thought it was pretty easy to hop back in. One
0: of the things I thought was really cool about seeing the other show in Dayton is how you saw folks that were probably around back in the day, but they had their kids there with them, and like you get kind of this multi-generational aspect of it, and, and people that a lot of the, which never were, were around when you guys were around the first time, or they weren't aware, or they didn't, so it's just, you get this really kind of jubilant energy that is kind of cross-generational
3: well that's my favorite thing about that Dayton experience was I got to bring my 16 year old son Noah to that show and like I was looking forward to it and it was one of the best nights of my life because he'd heard our band like he'd heard the you know the songs on on Apple Music and, and listened and it's not that he didn't like it he just didn't really get it you know he thought it was cool that dad was in a band but he saw the documentary first, and
1: that was really what kind of changed right? He saw it,
3: the right? documentary, yeah, the night before, though, so it was all in one weekend. <laughs> that's, that's a lot and to handle. It once. was a lot to handle, and uh, he saw how messed up Dad was.
1: Ooh. Right on cue. But yeah,
3: so anyway, he, um, he was at the show, and he... Uh,
0: I like that that happened as you were talking about how weird the music was, and then suddenly yeah, there's, like, I the, the ringtone. It was, like, the <laughs> huge,
3: long story short, he spent, like, the next four days... Just completely immersed in Brainiac Records, like seeing it live. Uh, just that made it click. It made it click. He's yeah. like, he, he, I think he really got it, and he was just making playlists and his favorites. And what was really uh, moving for me too, which was I wasn't expecting, is like maybe the second day that he was listening to all these Brainiac Records, and he would just seen the documentary and saw the story, like you know, kind of cohesive, you know, the two-hour kind of overarching story arc and yeah. everything. He came to my wife on the couch at like one in the morning, and he was just sobbing, like it really hit him that like this guy who created this music was gone. Right. And it never really connected in that way. Like I said before, it was like you know, dad was in a band, cool. Yeah, so that was it's an cool.
0: abstraction. Maybe, yeah, it was you know. a pretty cool
3: moment <laughs> for me. Like, oh man, like, and now I'm cool.
1: I'm cool, dad. So. <laughs>
0: can't beat
3: that
1: speaking that's of, like bonus speaking of cool dad like I think that part of that abstraction like always you know like I, I went on and played in other bands and stuff like that but the idea of like I'd watch other like then there was the whole tide of like all of these bands from like the 70s and 80s that were doing reunions right. and I may there may have been a part of me that was like a little bit like bitter but I was also just like that's fucked up like, it's like the know.
0: reunion industrial complex yeah
1: yeah <laughs> But, uh, I kind of just never felt like I, I just never ever thought that we would ever do this thing. but I remember when like Tim died at the service, his father, who was still alive at the time, and he's like jazz musician, and him and some of the other guys that he played with, came up to me and maybe like you, and they were like, "Well you guys gonna, are you guys gonna keep going?" And it was just like such a flabbergasting question because I think in like in terms of like jazz music, it was just like, you keep this music alive." You know it doesn't matter if like the the equal parts and to hear his his dad say that was really mind blowing but i kind of like sort of return to that when we kind of went through all this stuff and we decided we were going to play like just it started first we did a benefit in dayton for a, a friend of ours who was also passed away's uh daughter's college fund and when we decided to do that it was like a ultra local experience doing it in dayton And that felt really good for all the reasons that it should, but also just to be together, it was such a blast, because we you know, it was like, really just severed, we kind of all went our separate ways after Tim passed, and and, you know, kind of reconnected here and there, but it was just sort of like, cutting off something that we were so used to, and so invested in, and it was really nice, and kind of therapeutic to return to that, you know Well,
0: it's almost like a band is sort of like a family anyway, and when you have an abrupt event that disrupts a family, then you know it's it's emotionally hard, like it's trauma of any kind. And uh, so, so do you find like that, you know, playing together and being in the same places, doing the same things, like is it is you know history doesn't repeat itself, but sometimes it rhymes, right? So does it does it have that rhyme to it? Does it feel like, oh yeah, this is this is something that feels very familiar, but I'm a different person now, but I'm also the same person. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, think I think there's a lot of that I mean I think um, yeah, we're know, <laughs> yeah, we're still us Yeah, we're still the same people That we were before And sometimes that's a good thing Sometimes that's a bad thing But for the most part It's a lot of laughs And it's a lot of fun And uh But it is interesting how things like that You know, no matter how old you are Certain traits just like keep They just reappear and you know, which is good and bad, but I don't know. <laughs> it's, uh... A lot of I've re-
1: yeah. We basically just... The other thing we talked about was as far as doing this, if we were going to do it again or, you know, again, that if it wasn't... If, like, it's logistically complicated, which is the other sort of, like, suspension of disbelief thing for, like, I think fans, because I think that they just assume that, like, we're just, like, in the same neighborhood, and, like, if we wanted to get together and play next week, we're ready to do it. So people kind of, like we're sort of assuming we would continue to play and stuff like that, and we're just, we all live in different places, we've got different things going on, and so we were just like, look, if we're gonna do this, if we get invited to do something, we all have to be in a good headspace, we all have to like, agree that it's cool, and it has to be fun. So we're just trying to be mature and kinda easy about how it works. Well,
0: and it's certainly like nothing that you guys have done has felt flippant, or you know, like it was remotely in any way, shape, or form exploitive to the memory it just it kind of seemed like you were just doing things not adventure based necessarily but for like special moments if that makes sense in a way I mean I I find that very respectable because the music that you guys made is not you know it's idiosyncratic it's sort of like I always refer to like I think it's like the Devo compilation the pioneers who got scalped Right, mm-hmm. <laughs> where it's sort of like it's not commercial music. It's insanely catchy. It's dancey. That you know, there's there's weird pop hooks. But I feel in some ways culture's kind of maybe caught up to some aspects of it. But it still sounds very unique, and that's not always immediately rewarded. And sometimes when you're operating in a vacuum like that, it can be an, it can be hard to get you get like a parallax view of, of like, well, is this getting over? Like what what what's happening here? So with that in mind and like seeing like the multi-generational folks like folks from back in the day like you know people that never saw you now uh, has it given you any context for what you guys did then that maybe you didn't have before to kind of kind of get a greater epiphany as to you know what what the music meant in the in its context I,
3: for me I think the context is like back then there was always this this fear like People gonna like this or is this gonna be too weird and now it's like it's just free and easy because people are coming that already let know and like the music so to me that's a big difference like you're not really worrying about oh no are they gonna like us it's like they're specifically coming
1: because they're fans of the band right. from 22 years ago so some ways I feel like I it's like I almost have less context for it because I Like, I think back then, I didn't... Other than, like, making a record and, like, wondering, like, when I made that second record with you guys, like, I wondered about, like, what people would think about that record when it was coming out. But other than that, I don't think ever... We were just, like, our... We were so invested in our gang that I didn't really... I didn't ever think about those things or didn't ever... I never thought that Tyler wouldn't speed up a song. And, you know, (laughs) like, all the things that happened were just (laughs) the the way that they (laughs) happened. And now I... When I look back on that, I'm like, how did, how did those things happen? You know, like it's, it's. I feel a bit removed from, like that time period. I'll also have to say that we definitely could not be doing this thing. Like the three of us are, are good, but like this guy over here, Tim Krug, who's yeah, Tim who played in bands yeah. with Tyler and and some other really close friends of ours. He's like definitely our missing link because he's, he's like amazing. Keyboard guitar player. He's local and knew our music very well. And he's cut we, from the same jib. Yeah, we couldn't. We could, could not understudy. be doing this. He's
0: he's an understudy. <laughs> Actually, well, he's his own understudy. Yeah. I, I, and it, it it seems like it's definitely coming from a place of like love and respect and and, and interest. And it, it's if you were not a meticulous keeper of records or or necessarily know that much about the band, it wouldn't seem off putting that. You you were playing you're playing these songs so but that's got to be strange and uh, for you to be coming into this already existent entity with the, with this history and mythos and and whatever I mean is that like how how do you, did you even approach that
5: Yeah well I mean back then I was uh, I was a big fan of these guys I didn't know any of these guys at the time like I would go to the shows I lived in Dayton and um, but then over the years I just ended up kind of becoming friends with them separately. So part of me is kind of weird getting to play in one of my favorite bands ever. And then the other part that keeps that in check in my mind is that I'm playing a bunch of songs I like with my friends so it doesn't feel like, you know, too bizarre. It flips back and forth, I guess, from moment to moment.
0: Right. So it's almost just like this seems natural in that way because of...
5: It's it's very surreal and then very natural and obvious to me at the same time, I guess. Well,
0: and then... Yeah, like when I when I say you guys played in Dayton, you also had like other people like sing some of the songs. Like you had Kate from Long, who
2: mm-hmm.
0: I personally love, and and you had uh, the I don't know, remember the guy's name I, the documentary guy like that like did a song. Like how did you pick who does what? Especially because you know Timmy had such a unique presence and voice, and you're not going to be able to re- ever replace that. And it didn't seem like you were even trying to. You were just trying to do justice to like the mood of the song or, like, the feel of the song in your own way. So how did you pick who gets who does what?
1: I mean, we've done this a couple times now. So the first time we did it, we had, like, it was all local friends, you know? And uh, I think it was a bit of letting them choose somewhat. And then the second time, we did it in New York for the documentary. Right. And that was, like, having it was less local and more people that were, like, part of our... Our, you know, our gang back then that were in bands, affiliated bands, and stuff like that, and that was a little bit tricky for me, just because I like beforehand, just thinking about it made me very nervous. But it felt really uh, kind of therapeutic in a weird way, because I we hadn't seen like most of these people, you know, very much or at all in the last twenty years, so that was cool but i think yeah i don't know what what happened the last time how do we how do we choose who did what songs first time the the last date in time
5: well i think a lot of them were just the songs that those people had already done because kate and steve had already played with us like, at like the, the other thing.
0: do anything yeah did, they didn't so it was the songs that they were already yeah. familiar with yes yeah, she did the
5: yellow thing she did she did right now Oh. did right and
1: uh, Maximum. Oh, right, yeah.
5: Which yeah. that was just out of necessity, because we decided to do that show about six days before that show, while we
1: were- That's right, that's why, yeah. We were originally, that same uh, benefit that we did the first time that we played, basically it was going to be like a super old school, mm-hmm. hardcore thing where me and Hi- and Tyler's high school band was going to reunite, which we did. Yes, we did, And uh, the headline was supposed to be like, you know the local legendary hardcore band. Yeah. They ended up canceling the like a week before. Tragedy. The it was family tragedy, really yeah.
3: awful family tragedy.
1: So we basically won. We were doing the thing in New York, and the day after, we went to see the Jesus Lizard performing, which is also kind of really surreal. That like all of this. I think in that same week in New York, like the Jesus Lizard played, and like yeah, the following night, there were there were all of these there were all these weird things that were from our time period that were yeah, happening yes. in New York at that time period, which was crazy. But basically, Juan was just like, guys, because we you know they, they they were talking about they were talking <laughs> about who who locally was going to replace that band, and it we, we we're striking out basically. I think it was
2: Juan, right? Was it yeah, his Juan. Idea? Juan, Juan like, was one. let's just do it.
1: He was like, if you guys Buy me a plane ticket. get my plane ticket, I'll let's do, do this again.
3: Next Saturday.
1: And it turned out to be really awesome. Like basically people were bummed that yeah. it wasn't happening. And all of a sudden it was like a brainiac show and people were yeah, and John smart. and I were already there
3: with our high school band. So it was, and Tim that you know, Tim lives there. So it was easy for us. And so well, I was like, Kate, hey, can you get me there? Or even like a
5: path ticket or something? Yeah. Like and that. that's when we asked like, that's when we asked like Kate and like Erica happened to be in town. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, because we only really had prepped like four
3: songs. We well, only prepped like four songs in New York show, and we did, the New York show we it wasn't really a
1: brainiac. Set. We just kind of did a little. We were actually a little bit we nervous, kind of and in. yeah, we did like a few songs, and then the Eight G Band yeah. did the bulk of them with other things. So that was kind of more. It was great. You know. Yeah, they did the heavy lifting that night.
0: And so yeah. So that so. And that almost seems cooler in a way that there isn't like this big ramp up and like lead up and you know all this pressure. It's just sort of like, oh, we're, do- we're doing the thing. Oh, I guess we're doing the thing. Okay. So what was that? What was that first show like? Like, what was it like, just playing all that those songs again for the first time? Like How'd that feel? Like for the, the very first nice time? One? Yeah, for the first time in you know x amount of years. It was
3: crazy because it was. I, I think you or Juan or someone flew in that day. Juan, yeah. Juan, oh, Juan, Juan always flies in, in the morning. Day of- we prepped that afternoon. <laughs> is he,
0: he helicopter in and the drop? Out. Yeah, he totally like
1: scurried down a military rope. He just has the most like demanding of jobs, so he's usually just make you know basically the comes in as late as possible and leaves as soon as possible. Yeah,
3: so we like did our best to just kind of streamline a, a set. We had a lot of friends that helped that time too. I think there was a different mm-hmm. singer for almost every song.
1: Yeah but it was just really fun. It was in a a pretty small place that in in Dayton that's kind of a, a bit newer and they actually like people were jumping up and down so much that it poked a hole in the floor of the, the place. So that added an extra layer of like, you guys ruined the floor of
0: this club. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like,
1: their legal
0: capacity. The so, magic is back. Uh, yeah. Like the,
3: the legal capacity of this place is seventy-five
1: people, and we okay. didn't we didn't announce who. We were, we um, used a pseudonym. Okay. Which was a, a name that the, was an a original possibility, or was well, the I, first? Very, the
3: very first Brainiac show ever was in a local college, um, what do you call cafeteria? that?
4: Cafeteria? Not a cafeteria, it was their a little, a um,
3: uh, what do you call that? It's like their little activity like room. Union. A little student union, yeah. It's a place, right State, in Dayton, Ohio. So we didn't have a band name. We were still undecided, so we just called ourselves Will Eat Anything. <laughs> so that was Brainiacs. <laughs> first ever show was under Will Eat Anything. So, we called ourselves that, figuring that like there'd be a really small pocket of diehard fans that would get that. Yeah, yeah. And then I think the day of the show, we were like surprise, and just, so like a so seventy-five capacity place ended up like three hundred yeah, and fifty. Yeah. And it was like just
1: praying the fire marshal wasn't going
0: to. Uh, yeah, I was going to say hopefully the fire marshal was a little bit of the show. And but yeah. it was
1: funny because shows used to always be that way. All shows were packed to the gills if they could be, and then as soon as that Great White incident happened, yep. ever you know, when shows were sold out, you're like, are you sure the show
0: sold out? <laughs> yeah. Just about they're, to say the right? rooms, yeah. the yeah. rooms half empty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it still so many. Yeah, but it was great
3: too. After the show, I remember I was like, oh man, that was awful. Like you know, performance wise, and everyone was like, oh, that was the greatest show ever, and I was like, oh, that's just like back in the nineties. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So speaking of the 90s, I mean, and again, I have the, the not so rare delight of still having not seen the documentary, but by the time this airs, well, let's us, Let's keep it, so. talking about it,
1: and we won't do any spoiler alerts, but we'll just talk around it. Right, right.
0: <laughs>
3: uh, but. We just know this. In the end, we beat the rival team. Right. Yeah. 72-71.
0: Rodney Dangerfield comes out and says, hey, everybody, we're all going to get laid. <laughs> Close. <laughs> but it's John, instead of Ronnie Dantiphal. Exactly. <laughs> the camp
5: rosewood cobras go down. That's right.
0: The, the music of Brainiac has has kept a life of its own. And a, there's been a lot of bands that have claimed you guys as, as influences. And that have either directly or indirectly taken ideas and stuff that you guys did and incorporated in their own stuff. And that's got to be I mean that, that's got, you know, it's got to be flattering, but it's also got to be kind of strange in, in its way to you know get be getting these props, you know, direct or or indirect. Was that expected? I mean, would, did you always know that you were doing something special?
3: I thought I, so. I, I yeah. I, I had to find that on Wikipedia.
1: <laughs> I mean, again, you'll you'll kind of see in the in the doc, but it's. It was sort of like the challenge of getting over that, and this is before I was in the band, I think that it was decided that like, you know, to not care what people think, basically. Just to embrace that you're doing something like different than other people are doing, and and to make that the whole point.
0: Well, and part of that energy, part of that just aggressively not caring about what's happening, kind of like the, the I'm going to play through everybody here if I have to. Uh, I, I mean, I think that kind of gives the music a unique energy and kind of use it with, you know, I'm going to use the term punk rock, although it's, it's I, I'd like to use it in its purest form mm-hmm. and not, you know, like Liberty Spikes and sure uh, enough. exploited, but not even necessarily aggressive energy, but just forceful uh, towards things that I think has given the music somewhat of a lasting appeal, even to people that never had the chance to see live or never had the chance to experience it. But that said it's very easy in retrospect to go back and be like, well mm, actually it was more it was like this and et cetera, et cetera without you know, playing those shows where, you know, did you run into a lot of hostile audiences? Like were people like normally baffled or, or like like it what, was, wasn't what the a
3: lot but, but but we I I feel like we had our fair share of hostile audiences.
4: Anyway, I, was, ha- I like I like
3: hackling. No, it was. It was a lot of fun because I think that it drove Tim to be a better performer. Uh, we did this horrible thing, like, the first year of our existence, the band playoffs.
4: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah
3: so we, so the story goes, they um, can tell it because the guy's gone now. The breeders were going to play in Dayton at this small, really cool, old, infamous venue. And it's real intimate, like, I don't know, 150 people. Yeah, it's, really small. it's a small place. And they hadn't played in forever. Like, Cannonball had just come out, and it was like a huge... So we went to the owner and we were like, we won on that bill. And we were kind of getting some popularity and had a draw. So he was like, well, I'll give you that show if you'll enter our annual summer band playoffs.
1: Oh, I didn't know that's how that happened. Yeah, totally. Right,
3: one. Yeah, that's yeah. how it happened. that's how it happened. So we were totally like, fine, we'll do it. We'll, we'll throw it, throw the game, and be done with it. Like, three weeks later, seven shows seven levels, rounds, whatever, and we won the darn thing. <laughs> and and what,
0: so what, what, what oh yeah,
3: the up? question was, yeah. uh, sorry, sorry. sorry, I'm 47, I was like, why did I, why did I bring that up? That was exactly why, because we were, we would like, we would be up against bands that were like, just, I don't know what you even call them, just like, pop or crows or whatever you just didn't
0: share a lot of cultural but not a sh- didn't share a whole lot of yeah. juice
3: with these bands or their people there and and it was like it was a little heated like people wanted their band to win like they were they showed up to vote for their friends and stuff and so you'd have these kind of like you know just different people that were right in the front row and they would heckle Tim and get in his face so Tim would respond by jamming his microphone halfway down his throat and flapping his arms like a butterfly and right. just chest bumping them you know, through half of a song. And that was like the best part was looking at it. I mean, they're just in horror. Like, I mean, they were terrified of this strange curly haired man that was just insane. And so I think it really, I like we didn't like doing it and it was a pain in the butt and kind of obnoxious, but I think those playoffs really kind of helped Tim like just become the weirdo he became, in a cool way. Okay.
0: Well, it's almost like you can kind of define who you are based on who, you, who your enemies and who doesn't get it is just as well. Yeah, and, and you don't want to be like you don't
3: want to be like you know. Oh, we don't want those kind of people to like us or whatever. But at the same time, it was like well, they but like a certain thing. And yeah,
0: they're not necessarily almost, coming but, out with good faith and yeah, you know, coming not, out with open not good mind. faith
3: and. Like it or not, it's going to be a barometer of sorts.
0: And you mentioned doing that show with the Breeders. Of course, um, with the, you did the, the, the International EP uh, you, you did with Kim. So that was, obviously, she was a... Yeah, Juan, was that a stepping stone, that show? Which Us show? ending you know,
2: up
3: since we played with Kim uh, at that Breeders show. Is that kind of how International I think that... eventually came about? Or was it just more of a date and connection?
2: I think...
4: It was definitely years later. Yeah, that was a long time later, and I feel like they were just around. And I think that there was like, I think that Kim and Tim were doing stuff together. They did like, I think Tim went over to Kim's house and like played with her a few times, like sort yeah, well, of we separate be- from. Definitely us.
3: became friendly.
4: Yeah. So. Kind of
0: like a scene thing almost.
4: Yeah. Yeah, oh, totally. But I, th- I mean, I remember like I was always pushing for, for stuff like that because I was such a fan, but. uh... I don't know how
1: far ahead you guys stepped, but thinking back on those guys winning the the band-like thing, it blows my mind that people... The band was really original, for sure, locally, but, like, just that that would be the... You know, like, that that would persevere over, like, many things that were... I didn't get to see other things, but I probably know some of the bands that were in that competition, but that kind of blows my mind still, that even locally, that, you know...
0: It's a pretty strange thing, uh, and a great thing to have in your pantheon of stories as well. You know? It's like that's...
3: Yeah. Oh, we also had friends that... Yeah, come to think of it, to your point, we had friends that were in the competition, too. Yeah. I mean, the the, the band we played in the final night is our friend Chris Wright. Oh. That Nostromo?
1: Or what was the? the uh, Scorchster's Posse. Oh, right. Oh, my gosh. Yeah.
0: Talk to me about it, and I wanted to actually talk about this while John wasn't in the room because I was gonna talk about what it was like having John join the band uh, as opposed to the first record, obviously it's a, it's a slightly different lineup. Kind of, I, I, th- I think for a lot of people, the Bonte Superstar stuff is sort of where Brainiac as Brainiac became known, sort of defined that sound. How much of that was, was you guys kind of figuring that out and how much of that was just very organic uh, as, as far as direction?
3: I think it was almost all organic, personally. Like, I was thrilled. I, John and I, um, our, our band was split between, the, Juan and Tim grew up together in school, since elementary school, right? Yeah. Grade school. And John and I grew up in a whole other school district since junior high. So I had known John, we played in this high school band, and so I was absolutely thrilled that he was coming on board. We liked a lot of the same music, and
0: it's already, you had the same cultural shorthand. For we were already sort of just being friends, you know.
3: We were already really close. I mean, yeah, we drove four hours to see The Cure together in tenth grade. I it doesn't get any
1: closer than that. It's a strange bit of like all boys Brady Bunch kind of a thing, where we, we kind of had our thing. It was and the Brady Bunch. Wanted Tim, you know, had their thing, and, and they it were kind four of years older than us. I think five, five, I think, yeah,
0: but who's counting? <laughs> yeah. yeah, but which
4: felt like a lot. Right, it right. Does Especially when young, for sure, Especially
3: yeah. Yeah. when we're 19 and they're 24, that's... Yeah, that's a big difference. That's a big difference.
0: Yeah, it's... When you're when you're grown man, it's so that, that's, a little that's, less that's relevant. That's right? mine and yeah.
3: John's excuse.
0: And, and then, from there, over to the to the Hissing Prick stuff, which is sort of, like, it develops some of the same ideas, but also kind of taking it, like, further and uh, expanding out. Kind of, poppier stuff becomes poppier some of the songs are even like shorter and like more but pack more in at any given time again was that something where you were like pushing to do something specific or is that just where you guys were at at that moment
1: i think like when i joined the band they they had toured the heck out of the first record and then we like we got offered a tour with quick sand and seaweed which uh was kind of it was a larger tour that we did it was probably not the best suited thing but it was also a good challenge and then when we came out of it we, it was like basically like a long time after you know the first record had come out so making the second record was like very a lot quicker but when we made hissing prigs we had like demos for all the songs it was very it was a lot more meticulously planned so i just think we were kind of like we all good at what we did that's maybe. true and also with hissing prigs
3: we by that time we had a lot of uh interest from major labels and they were getting involved with like helping out with like equipment and oh you got some special, special, You, you got yeah. some drums that were yeah like I, that. I, that's my favorite record drum wise drum sound wise the Sissy Briggs and the reason why is they're not my crappy drums
0: <laughs> it's a great drum sound I mean yeah
3: it's they a great drum sound because this guy I remember his name is Artie he's famous
1: actually oh, he's famous I think yeah. he's
3: Alex Van Halen's dude or he was back then but he refused to give me that snare sound. It's like copyrighted, I <laughs> think. <laughs> copyrighted, registered. Mark, registered. <laughs> no, but he really was like this guy, really sweet guy He showed up with like four gigantic road cases of like these amazing drums. And so that was, I think that, you know, good or bad helped shape the sound of that record because we had the little juice behind us from like, all that interest. And I forget which, was that Josh and Electra.
0: Yeah. So, but so do you feel like drumming-wise, do you feel like that since you were getting the most out of what you had before, that when you had this awesome drum set, you could just really tear into
3: it? No, no, that's not at all. Because I, I, <laughs> okay. I just have one mode. I've i got caveman mode, and that's it. Yeah. Anyway, but just the fact that they sound so good is like, I mean, because Eli was a fantastic producer, but but my you know thrift store drum set is only going to sound so good. So, just having these really professional drums and cymbals from a professional outrigger dude was, I think, helped shape the drum sound on that record. And then the other song on that record, too, was, um, what was the song called? Oh, right. Nothing Ever Changes, which Steve Albini recorded. Yeah. And I got to play Todd, Dr- Todd Trainer's kit Oh, on that, so okay. that was like the good kit record.
4: At the time, one, one, love- and done. At the one time, off.
1: that studio was, uh, he I mean, he recorded other places, but, like, it was in the basement of Albini's house. So it was just basically like we got there.
0: The, the old studio, Briolett's. Really, like, yeah, yeah.
1: And he was like, Well, Todd's drums are already set, set. up and mic If you want to, you can, but don't feel pressured to do that. And Todd I was just like, Yes, please. <laughs>
3: yeah, I loved him, man. I love Todd and love shellac. And, yeah. Plus, I mean, that's one of Albini's, like, when I, like, personally, I can hear the. I can tell it's L.B. by listening to the drums. Oh, of course. any yeah. record. It's yeah. just like, the latest Breeders record, which I adore, he did two of the songs, and I can tell instantly which two of those are. Just from Jim McPherson and the drums. It's like, no denying it.
0: Well, and it's also like, a lot of people don't, unless they're don't nerds for that kind of thing, don't necessarily realize how much the drums are an important part of his recordings and how they're recorded, where it's like, it's that very timeless sound of like, it sounds like a good drummer playing in a good room, you know? And that's, right. that's, that's, that's the key. How about for a, a Electroshock? Very different kind of record, right? Yes. Uh, <laughs> very different conceptually. That's all I have to say about Electro. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, it's funny because, um, I love those songs. They're some of my favorite songs. They're fantastic. But we definitely went... Juan explains it better than I do. It was like Tim's... It's like Tim was so amazing and he was doing everything we wanted. And like Tim earned his one last... How would you put it, Juan? Mm. Like he got to make his...
4: I think he wanted to... Low, not low five, but like... Yeah, I think he wanted to make a record that he... Produ- I think he was influenced a lot by... Um, sort of the guided by voices thing. Not necessarily making a lo-fi record, but just sort of the creator having control over the entire process. And so I think that he was always looking to do that. Um, When we made uh, Banzai, he actually wanted to record that just like in the basement in Dayton. And I had to argue to go record it in new york because i wanted i was like this is like the one fun you know we never made any money and i'm like this is the fun thing that we get to do is go to new york for like a week (laughs) or two and hang out (laughs) So like they cannot not do this so he relented on that and i kind of feel like maybe but that was still something he wanted to do and so i think that that was you know it's an interesting it's hard to it's hard to remember how that came about really. Like, I feel like the funny the way thing about it came that about, record yeah. is like
1: yeah, if if it had been that bonsai record like it would have probably ended up being more like four track, but at the time we had we actually got like a proper Otari like real to reel And it's not it's like there's a learning curve. If you're not a real engineer like like distortion on a cassette is like cool and forgiving. And you kind of have to learn how to work real to real and like the levels and stuff. We didn't really know that stuff. So a lot of that stuff was was wrong and, and not and not cool wrong necessarily. And, and, and we also, was, it was a bit hodgepodge. Like we, we had just moved into this newer uh, space to play in which was underneath this kind of shopping mall area in a basement. And there happened to be this hip hop <laughs> producer down the hall. So we, were, we just did some willy-nilly stuff down the hall with this guy that we didn't wasn't like we chose this guy he just was there and had a studio and so then when we brought brought the record to uh, Jim O'Rourke like we had these things that were not recorded very well and he sort of just kind of massaged it into you know what it became and I kind of always felt like I remember when I remember you were kind of sick and you needed to work on the artwork for the record when you, so you and Tyler went away. I had to go home.
4: Yeah. I was so sick. Yeah.
1: And me and Tim left, were the last to leave. And I forget, I think Jim's parting words were something like, you know, I would like to work with you guys again, but like, I would definitely like to be on the first rung of the ladder, like the next time. And Tim and I got in the car to drive away and we were like, yeah, like. You know we understood exactly what he was trying to tell us and kind of felt a little bit bad that you know like i kind of
0: like it could have been more or or maybe different in know, a good way been. yeah
1: i mean he was great to work with he it wasn't like he was like frustrated because i think i think every engineer worth their salt is sort of used to dealing with problems especially if they didn't get to record it and it was it was more of a suggestion but also he's a really smart guy. We both felt a little bit like hmm you know about about the way that that all turned out and I personally had like I I liked the 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 material that was on that and I liked the way that it turned out because of the process of what we did but I but I felt it was a little hodgepodge but now it seems like Especially Eric, the feedback from Eric, the director has been like that's pretty much everyone's favorite like people love that record it's very there's something very comfortable about that record. It feels sort of the things we're talking about that we were worried about is like it's it's a, there's something personal about it because it's a bit dark recording and recording and a little kind of almost it, there's something homegrown
0: about it I guess
1: right. so
0: and, and there's a little bit of a not all over the place, but some over the place. Yeah, to it, for sure. So, so with electro shock, electro was more of of what trying to get to like a higher higher budget kind of version <laughs> of that, or like Talking yeah, or... electro shock yeah, was yeah, yeah. that
1: record where we we kind of podged it, but we were we were also trying to like sort of work into like Tim had used mostly exclusively like Moogs or like the realistic Moog right. up until then and so that was our foray into like using a digital synthesizer and using we had a PV sampler that had like two racks one was the brain and the other was like the floppy disk like communicator to save the stuff and I actually really liked that sampler but it things took a long time to put together basically it's not like having a computer and like you know just sort of being able to drop and drag WAV files and all that right. stuff. You have to do all these things on tiny little LCD screens. And,
0: and, and would you drag any of this stuff out live? Or, like, would that be something that?
1: We did. We had Mr. The, Fingers yeah. and Fresh New Eyes, I think, were yeah. these
4: two songs we did from that. Yeah. Yeah. And Flash Run. And Flash Run. Yeah, so yeah. three songs.
0: Right. Yeah. I know when I saw you guys at, at Dayton, they, um, there was a couple songs that I didn't recognize that somebody told me were ones that you guys had been working on uh, post that uh, post EP, but never had gotten recorded, never gotten released. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, would you would you care to expound upon those? Like, what those were ones that were going to be on the next record?
4: I think we're playing two of those songs tonight. There was a few. Um, I think that. I think, yeah, I think that there were songs that were maybe candidates for that. But I have a feeling that if we, if there had been a Next Record, it would have prob- you know, been on a major label, and there probably would have been more input from a producer. So I feel like things might have changed even a bit from, we were sort of talking like about it the other day. what you
0: mean?
4: Well, I, we were talking about it the other day, and the songs still kind of sound like, they sound like brainiac songs, like brainiac songs that almost could be could be on the, the the previous records or whatever. And I think that I mean, just talking to Tim at the time, I think he was interested in making something that he didn't just wanna do that again, you know what I mean? He wanted to sort of push things further and probably you know, if you're gonna play that game, then you play that game. You don't just try to make like music that's like we weren't gonna try to make an indie you know Brainiac record on Interscope is what I'm saying so but you know those songs like to me they they sounded poppier than than things that we had done previously so they were definitely going in that direction but now that I listen to them I I'm just like wow these just still are just too weird for like yeah (laughs) right they're not like it's they're not like hits or anything like that but I think he was on some level you know just the little bits of talks that I had about it with him I think he was interested in writing you know maybe not I don't know if you want to say like a radio hit but yeah like what's the point of signing to a major label just to sit there and make a touch or whatever whatever. make the same records that you made before
0: well and and there was precedent for it I mean there's bands like you know the Flaming Lips and stuff that managed to take like what they did that made them weird and not necessarily round off the edges but kind of Bring the weirdness in a different way. Yeah,
4: I don't think we could have made a non-weird record, but I just think we would have, at least in my mind, I think it would probably have been a lot of weird stuff and maybe some stuff that maybe was more and it, more accessible to people. It's funny and, that first, like the first
1: record, I mean, I, and I said that about the band when I was just like a fan, but like actually that first record, what became that, and those were the songs that they were playing like during those that like band playoffs thing, like. That record is is, in a way, the most straightforward like kind of thing. Like it's an early incarnation of what the band became, but it's also like very like, building blocks. It's kind of poppiest and in, in a way most straightforward. Like like, you can see where grunge had been happening, right. before that, and we we're, we weren't a grunge band at all. Like we, but you know <laughs> or they they weren't before I was in the band, but it you know like it felt a little bit more like. I feel like we would have kind of returned more to something that felt cohesive in the way that that felt cohesive, you know. But again, it's kind of like so early. Like we didn't. There was there weren't that many demos that were like you know. So it could have gone several many ways. I mean, I think any any good record that happens with like you know a proper producer or that that develops over a gestation period like has you you kind of narrow it down from like 20 songs. We only there was only like four or maybe five songs and for us I feel like playing those the two songs that we're playing that you probably heard that we're going to play tonight. I think that's kind of we're not saying it's not for the audience but it's like it's sort of like us embracing everything that we were. It doesn't matter that people aren't totally familiar. It's just about being like you know
0: well, it's a celebration of what you guys did, mm-hmm. right? And then that includes the hits, and it also includes the stuff that's like, hey, what's this? You know, and, and that's, I, for me, it, it kind of seemed way down, right down the line of what, of what you guys were doing. And Like, you played really music, cool. so you know
1: how yeah. it's like after you, you played music that people might know, and after a while, that's not as exciting for you, and you want to do new stuff. And so it's kind of like the last stuff we played, and that's still kind of like it's exciting because we didn't wear those songs out for It, it almost either. never
0: really got a chance to be, ever become old yeah. or, or tired. So it's so kind of a, a freshness to it. it. It's cool to hear that. And, and I guess, like, uh, you, you know, and, and I want to thank you guys for, for doing this. It's been, it's been great having you. It's very, very illuminating. Well, very way you exciting. look incredible,
1: Tyler.
0: Thank you. Yeah, Tyler looks very dapper uh, for the listening I audience. Get, <laughs>
3: if I didn't get changed now, uh, it's never going
1: to happen. You always have to do a costume change even for a podcast. <laughs> that's, that's kind of Mr. asked a little oh, bit. Oh, is this yeah. just a... Okay. Huh? I thought we were filming. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't know where the cameras are I thought they were in your
0: headphones, so... The cameras are in my head. The cameras are in your mind. They're blind. If, the, you, if you only knew. We, we, we touched upon a little bit. So the music of Brainiac is, is, is in its way timeless to the people that it's, it's timeless for. Like it, it's something where uh, part of the reason why it pops for people is because it, it isn't, doesn't sound like other bands. It sounds just like you, know, you, you guys doing your own thing in, in, your, uh, in your own cell of stuff and grinding away. And it's been very influential. And there have been many bands that have been directly influenced by you guys. I saw one the other day. That I, they did a Brainiac cover. Who was and, it? And, uh, Dana from, uh, oh. from Youngstown. Oh wow. And it, and it occurred to me that, I would say about a quarter of the people there knew it and were like, psyched. And, they, and everyone else just were like, this is a cool song. And I'm like, Oh, head, that's great. What, what band? Uh, this band, Dana, from-
1: uh, oh, D- they're, they're from they're Columbus, actually, Columbus yeah? I Columbus, yeah.
0: yeah.
1: Where did you see them at? Aster
0: thing? Uh, in Madison at Mickey's. It was after okay. our show with Lama we went to go see them, because mm-hmm. knows them. but it's, that's irrelevant. So the, the, the point is like, you know, in the year 2019, you still have bands and a very good cover too, as well, where it means that much to people that they'd be willing to like, you know, not only play the song, but like do, you know, do it justice and bring it to a live crowd. Uh, again, can't take that to the bank and deposit necessarily. I was just getting ready to say. <laughs> royalties <laughs> but but it ain't nothing you know that was a long period of time that did you, you guys spent of your lives being brainiac and especially like seeing the documentary and again as we adequately established the multi-generational aspect of fans coming to see you you know what, overall how has that experience been like doing these shows and like having all these things happen at once and like knowing all of these things in the context of, of today
1: it's cool it's fun
0: I don't know. I, I
1: the thing that I always liked is the the first two records were on a label that like got sold a couple times, and so those records have been out of print, and so part of it could have been, you know, maybe people, maybe more people could have caught on if those records had been more available, and if the whole catalog were available, and people could sort of digest. And now that the, I mean, the internet is as it is people can if they want to but the thing that's always been cool to me is that like people don't know about us but the people that do are like super fans you know what i mean like people that are into brainiac are like
0: intensely so they that's their username on things yeah exactly yeah
1: and so i think that part is really cool maybe this documentary might help turn on some some people otherwise that didn't know, but it kind of is what it is. It's been very frustrating, that part, like the the first two records being like on this la- basically traded over to a company that doesn't really give a shit, basically. But, you know, like, and it yeah, is what it is. Yeah, I wasn't sure is. if you wanted
0: to talk about that, but.
1: Well, it's, it's I there. It's, I mean, yeah. you know, <laughs> uh, it's it's troubling. Like we've tried a little bit over the years to try and sort of either get rights or at least to just, get the records out there and it's it's kind of gone nowhere because they've they've basically given a situation that's super raw like we will retain the rights and you can pay to do x amount and, and give us 75 percent of it and you know you're just sort of like other people that were on those labels that that were like way less popular were able to get the rights and maybe they think just because there was a little bit of interest that maybe that something could come from it, so it's kind of frustrating on that level, but I just, I guess I embrace the fact that that what I first said was that, you know, it's exciting to see, even though that we, you know, people, the the tricklings of people getting excited about it now, it's more that people who like our band get, are, you know, kind of fans for life. They're, like, fanatical.
0: I mean, the episode before you guys, this one, and if I had a hi-fi on, and those guys... Like literally the first thing I I saw when I when, you know I played with them years back I was like oh these guys these guys are awesome intense and clearly they like Brainiac a lot <laughs> and, and all in a good way like in a way that was like great cultural shorthand more than just like oh these guys like the Rolling Stones or something like you knew I knew immediately a lot of things about them and to have that as like a cultural signifier that ain't nothing man that ain't nothing a lot of a lot of uh, artists never get that and of course one always wishes for the art to have a larger platform, but you know, there, there is a hope that with the documentary that people can kind of help understand the story a little more and understand the context of the times. Right. On. Thanks so much for doing this guys. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having us. All right. So back to present day Conan. Uh, I felt that went really well. So listen to this Rainiac song. And when we come back, I'll give you my take on the movie, Transmissions After Zero, the Brainiac documentary.
2: Rust on its not in the you. turn it over, but it feels I'm not to to you. Oh, wow. The motor stairs, but the wheel stuck. Stuck in a straight line. Everything else is just a good back through the disaster. It could happen.
0: was Nothing Never Changes by Brainiac off of the incredible Hissing Pigs in Static Culture record, which for years I thought said Hissing Pigs in Static Culture, which I'm sure is the intention of that title. little notable thing there. So as promised, uh, let me give you my take on Transmissions After Zero, which I've now seen, the Brainiac documentary. I'm not sure when or where it's going to be available in a streaming platform. I'm a little unclear about that. In both cases that I'm aware of, where it's been anywhere near me, it's played in a theater. So I, I assume they're going that route for a while. But I guess the biggest takeaway is that it's a hell of a movie. It's really well done. I am a fan of the Rock documentary. I think it's a very cool and misunderstood art form. Felt that the narrative structure in this is strong. There's some there's an animation element to it that uh, makes for some very entertaining moments. After I talked to the guys, Juan Monasterio from Rainiac, kind of pulled me aside and said, like, you know, in case you're wondering why I didn't talk too much, there's a lot of me in the documentary, and I'm kind of self-conscious about it. And he's not wrong. But the cool thing is he. He kind of sets the narrative in a very logical and 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 cool way that even even as someone that was a huge fan of the band i didn't really know that much about them and i think it's very informative and i think if you're remotely a fan of the band you're gonna freaking love it and even if you're not i think you can find something about it in the story of it that can help you connect to it so uh, for instance, you know Tyler mentioning that his son saw it and kind of got it, for lack of a better term, right? Something along those lines, and you know it's moving and uh, it's emotional. It's going to be all the things that you think it's going to be. I mean, <laughs> it's it's no surprises, right? Uh, highly recommended though, and I assume at some point it'll be streaming somewhere. Take the time to go and find it. Kind of small PSA. Uh, I, I think the only the only documentary that I've, that I've seen when I reviewed uh, in this show before I had the guest on was the... Well, it wasn't even a documentary. It was the, the Joe Cardamone, the pseudo-documentary, right? So I, I don't normally get the chance to give an opinion before one of these episodes air. I th- It's really important to support these smaller documentaries, things like the Melvin's documentary, the... You know, the Color of Noise, the AMREP one, the Brainiac documentary. And one of the reasons why is I feel personally that this format can do well to present these ideas and this world creating that happens with these bands and artists that the outside world is either disinterested in or doesn't care about and introduce it to a new audience. And the only way that happens, the only anything happens in this day and age is with powerful advocacy. You have to... Find what you love and powerfully advocate for it. So this is me, with all my power, powerfully advocating for Transmissions After Zero Brainiac documentary. Uh, go see it. Please. Do yourself the favor. Do everyone the favor, but do yourself the favor. Okay, getting off my soapbox now. All right, so yeah, it was great. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Brainiac was not a band that I ever knew that much information about, so it was a real pleasure to be able to meet them in person. and Can you hear me now? Kind of get their take on things in, in real life uh, right now versus then and, and do it with that level of immediacy. Hope you guys got something out of it. We're reversal. Make a special point of bringing conversations with... These kinds of people, these kinds of artists, to you, this is the only show that does that with this level of consistency and ethos. Stand by that. You have the capacity, ability, or will. Please upgrade the show and the things. I know it's obnoxious. It's it's how people find the shows. Uh, More importantly, share the episode around with different people that you think might enjoy it. Get something out of it.
2: Day.
0: The name of the show is Kona Neutron Sportonic Reversal. This
2: is my farewell
0: transmission. It airs every Thursday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central, 6 p.m. Mountain, 5 p.m. Pacific, Radio Note.
2: Signing off, Mr. and Mrs. America, all the ships at sea.
0: Radioneutron.com for the archives. Anyone within the sound of my voice. Subscribers always get shows first, so if you don't already, consider subscribing. I've got. Brainiacfilm.com. Of for transmissions after zero. They're all over the social media, too. I wanna ionize the air. Continuing on, doing our thing. Reckless force. Happy to do it for you. Uh, this
2: microphone
0: got some other stuff coming up, as always. Peroncavversal endures.
2: Can you hear me now?
0: Out on Route 128. I guess as always. Catch you later. I got my radio on. Can you hear me now?
2: This one goes out to a special girl. But there is no special girl! It's the See the radio. The last announcer plays the last record. The last what? Leaves the transmitter the globe in search of a listener.